as we gather around God's word this morning. Let's pray for his blessing, his presence, and his power to show itself in his word. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you have given us a better way, a better way of life, a better way to live, a better way to work, a better way to be married, a better way to be a parent and to be a child, a better way to be a friend, a better way to be a co-worker, a neighbor. Father, each of these things are marked by you because you, uh, in your goodness, have shown us the source of how these relationships are best. You've shown us what love and grace looks like. You've shown us what joy looks like, what wholeness, as we used that word last week, shalom, completeness and peace Father, we think about how we long for this and how we live in a world that longs for shalom, peace in relationships, relationships that are fully and completely marked by you. And Father, we understand too that that is work that happens through us. That's work that you do through your spirit, but then you use us to change the world that we live in, to change our workplace, to change our school, to change our neighborhood and our homes. And Father, this is power that you've shown to us in your love. And Lord, you call us simply to exercise it by following your model with your relationship with Christ. Lord, may we live into that, not in and of our own strength, but in yours. You are good, and we are grateful, Father, for your goodness. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and God's people said together, amen. amen. From the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the first two verses, and then we'll jump down to verses 9 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And remember again, when we talk about the word here, we're talking about Jesus. He is the word of God made flesh. And then at verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the phrases that is common in homes with children in them, especially children who are growing and maturing, oftentimes we use these phrases, especially in homes where there are teenagers or uh, older teenagers who are working it out to be an adult, um, is a phrase like this. It goes something like this. Stop being so childish, right? We want uh, our, our teenagers to grow up and stop being so immature, 
Stop being goofy like you were before. Stop doing some of those things that were foolish when you were, and silly when you were a, a, a fifth grader, a fourth grader, a third grader, or younger. And now that you're a teenager, you need to stop living into that sort of behavior and start living into maturity as we all as adults have, right? We, we are mature, we're adult, we're, we're uh, thoughtful in what we do. We always do what is right, we do what is appropriate. And we, we long that for our kids. We want to see our kids to no longer be, you know, so crazy and nutty with some of the decisions that they make, or even foolish. We, we, when we talk to our kids uh, about, you know, things like how they interact with friends, some of the things that they do, how they think about homework, how they think about um, just how they interact with others. That's usually the one that gets it, right? When brothers and sisters start fighting together or when siblings go after it, we say, stop being so childish. You get along now because adults always get along perfectly, don't we? But what's interesting about that phrase that we so often use, I've used it many times myself with my three children, is that In many ways, God's word pushes us back to think about what it means to be childish. If you remember on Christmas Eve here, we talked about that text for a moment from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, Let the children come to me, for to such as these what belongs the kingdom of heaven. To become like a child is biblical. To become like a child is actually affirmed over and over again. When Paul is speaking to Nicodemus about what it is that you can do to inherit eternal life, what does Paul say? You must be born again. All these illustrations, all these illusions, all all this thinking in the text about being really childlike. And there's a reason for that. I even thought about that this morning. Uh, this morning, one of the kids uh, from one of our praise team members was running around the sanctuary, which is often, and, and that's beautiful. It's just a beautiful picture of the excitement of children. But in the back by the sound booth, there was a box of donuts. And this little girl saw those donuts. And suddenly, the whole world shut down. Because as a child, there's very few things that are better than a donut with sprinkles on it, right? And in that moment, I I laughed, of course, because I, I thought it was funny. But in that moment, you see the beauty of what God's word is talking about when it says to become like a child. Here is a little girl whose eyes are filled with wonder and longing for something that is good to her and that she wants and everything else falls away and oftentimes that's not how we live as adults we lose sight of that sort of wonder and that sort of uh, longing that sort of even love for something as simple as a donut In our text this morning, the reason I bring up this idea of being childish or childlike, maybe better phrase, 
is that when we think about what God has given us in his relationship with Jesus, his son, father to son, parent to child, is he has given us a model of how we live into a deeper, loving, flourishing relationship with him and how we do that with others. So as we think about this text from John 1, it helps us understand how we live more deeply into this relationship of being a child of God. Now, let's begin by thinking about what this text says. Again, I want to read that those two verses at the beginning of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. It's a word of relationship. And he was with God in the beginning. And as soon as I hear that, those phrases, those two verses, I instantly think of the Shema. And the Shema is a a thing, uh, it's, it's a phrase, it's actually biblical, that Jews will say every day when they wake in the morning. They even do it to this day. They did it in the time of Jesus. They did it before that. They said... They say, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Shema. Shema Israel. Israel is what they call it, and they wake up every day and they do it. Now think about that phrase. The Lord, the Lord our God is one. All of a sudden, into the Jewish world of Jesus' day steps Jesus. And in this phrase from John chapter 1, we hear something that would challenge the Jews. It would at least force them to wonder, okay, wait, we've always said, every day we wake and we say, the Lord, the Lord our God is one, But now, in John 1, verse 1, we hear the Word was with God, the Word was God. Well, then you can begin to wonder for Jews, wait, hold on, the Lord, the Lord our God is one, now you're telling me that this Jesus, the one that we see in physical form here on earth, is God as well. That sounds like a duality, two parts. Isn't God one? Is God one or is he not? It's a challenge for the Jews of Jesus' day to struggle with this, to try to understand it. What does this mean? Is there one God or is there two gods? And then eventually we get the Holy Spirit. Is there three gods? And that's certainly a dialogue that continues to happen today. For Jews, God is one. In Jesus, there's this new revelation of God in a unique person. And we know in our world how difficult it is to comprehend the Trinity. Imagine for the Jews who've lived into that one God for centuries. How many of you understand the Trinity? Thank you for keeping your hands down. If you understand it, please let me know because I would like to put you into a case, put you on display and have people come meet you. 
The challenge for us as we think about this Trinity, three God or, or, or three persons in one God, and yet still one God. We struggle with that. It just sounds like three gods. It sounds like just one God, and certainly that's a dialogue that happens all over the place today. Imagine for the Jews. They all of a sudden are confronted with something that has never been in Jesus. It's never been before. And now they have to change their understanding and their reality of who God really is. In this work of Jesus coming to earth, God is opening up more of the mystery of who he is. But man, it's hard to work through. I mean, we've had splits, church fights. And, and yeah, this has actually been a really big deal in the history of the church. These are the sorts of things. It's one of the reasons why we, as evangelical Christians, call Jehovah's Witnesses a cult. They don't believe in a triune God. It's one of the reasons why there have been church fights over the years, church wars over the years, trying to grasp this relationship of the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father together in one God, three persons. In fact, I remember when I was in seminary, Seminary, you do what is, and I've told you about these before, oral comprehensive exams. You have to go in front of three people, two professors and a pastor, and they can ask you any question about the Bible, theology, pastoral care, worship that they want, and you have to answer. It's like the worst thing ever. And I'm sitting in there, and one of those things that I needed to memorize and have in my head and be ready to answer for was an understanding of how Jesus the Son, and the Father worked. And the only way that we could come up with as students to figure it out is put it to a song. And so we have inseparable, indivisible, unconfused and unchanged, fully God, fully man, Theodicus, begotten of flesh. It's that important that you got to put it in your brain as a pastor and be able to answer for it. Jesus and the Father are inseparable and indivisible, and yet they don't change each other because they are unique. This is one of those things that when you think about it for a long time, or when you're sitting around a table or a campfire and you're talking about it, those thoughts get really big and they make your head hurt because it's wide and it's large and yet it is important for us to work through it's important for us to consider because if we're going to worship God if we're going to commit our lives to walking with Jesus we better work through what it means to live in relationship with this inseparable, indivisible, unconfused and unchanged God who shows himself to us in three persons through the, the Trinity. It's big because, yes, we want to better understand God, but it's more than that as well. It's also a model that God gives to us for oneness. Jesus and the Father are one. But that's not the only place in the text where God gives us this idea of oneness. Think about how God speaks of oneness relationships. If I had to ask you what places in the text or what, what relationships in the text does God call us to live in oneness? Anyone? What places? 
There's no places where we have oneness. Thank you. A man will leave his father and mother and they will cleave together and the two will become one flesh. Elsewhere. Anywhere else? What? Body of Christ. Thank you. The church. So what we do here. Now, there's a lot of married people, so you're under, you're, you're under responsibility for that oneness of marriage. And we are part of a church. It's oneness of body. And if we're going to live well into oneness, we better think about what oneness means. And in Jesus's relationship with the Father, I really don't like Jesus's, but it's the only way I can say it. Jesus's relationship with the Father, we have the great model for oneness. We have this great image of what oneness should be and how we then should live in marriage, should live in the body of Christ, and live into all relationships. In Christ's relationship with the Father, we get the ultimate example of shalom. Remember last week we talked about that. Completeness. Everything is right. Everything is the way it should be. In a relationship between Jesus And his father, we get shalom. But living into shalom is hard, right? Think about, again, the call to live in oneness in marriage. Kristen and I are perfect on this, by the way. Actually, I can give you the place, I can give you the place where our shalom is most at risk. And it's on the interstate when I'm driving our minivan. That's exactly the place where our shalom has been the most fractured as a couple. We've hindered our oneness. Kristen believes that I am trying to kill her and her three children every single time we drive. And I believe that she doesn't think that I love her and my children and that I am trying to kill her. There's this issue that we have in our relationship because we are not living into shalom. Shalom says that that the other person loves me and I can trust in their love for me. Kristen thinks I'm going to kill her. Shalom breaks. I think she's disrespecting me. Shalom breaks. It's even as simple as driving down the street where the issues of oneness are hazard. And we need to work through this because if we want to more fully understand our oneness with God, we better learn and grow and flourish in exercising it with those he has given us to learn from. We have our spouses We have others. We have the church to learn more deeply how to live into oneness with God in Christ. We will grow and there will be a completeness that comes when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns to that oneness. But right now, we're continuing to learn and grow. We're going to mess it up. We're going to make mistakes. But we can grow more fully into it. What's interesting to me is how fights and arguments in marriage change over time, right? I hope you don't fight as much as you did as a married couple now than you did 
five, ten years ago. Because you've grown in oneness. I hope that you are more at peace with the body of Christ. Why? Because you've grown in your oneness. And that's our longing to grow in oneness so that we can grow in our oneness with the creator of the universe who has given us Jesus Christ that unites us with him. Now, for the Jews to work that through, for them to struggle, for them to discuss, dialogue, and think at length about who Jesus is and what model that gives them for oneness with God. He he introduces this whole idea of union with God to the Jews through Jesus. See, before that, the Jews weren't God's children. What were they? They were God's people. You have God's people in the Old Testament. Israel is God's chosen people. Now through Christ in John 1, when we get to verse 9 through 13, what do we hear? That God's people are now his children. His children. Not of of a husband's will or human desire, but instead you're born of God. You are a child of God. And this is a new thing for the Jews to think about. I am one of God's children. And I am as one of his children. Here's a really crazy, out there, profound thought. I am one with God in Jesus. Really quickly, turn over. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. It's a little later on in your scriptures. And this here, in Paul's letter, we have Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. There is a uniting that comes between us and God through Jesus. We are entering into that model of the relationship between God the Father and Christ the Son through Jesus, and we are uniting with him. We are uniting with God. We understand oneness more fully when we receive the gift of grace. Now this affirms last week's teaching, what we talked about, that a believer goes with God in everything that they do. Why? Because God is united with them. You want to carry God into the problem places, the challenges of this world. You want to see God show up in your marriage. You want to see God show up in your workplace where there is strife or challenges. You want to see God show up in our culture. Then you go. Why? Because when you go, you carry God with you. There's that uniting that comes, and so we carry God with us. But this does even more than that. We don't just carry God into our relationships with others, but it also shows us and gives us a model of a better way to live into relationships with God and with one another. We can be grow in our understanding of what oneness means. 
As we look at Jesus' interactions with the Father, as we look at how he lives into relationships with his Father, how does he do that the, to, the, to the biggest degree during his ministry? Is he lives into relationships more deeply with others. That's the way that God shows us how to be more one with him. You want to be more one with him? Be more one with others in your love and your grace. In the exercise of relationship, that is a means and a way in which you are going to more fully understand your love for God. Since all believers are are children of God in Christ, we have common ground for unity. In fact, this is one of the reasons why the scriptures command us, do not be married to a non-believer. It's one of the reasons why it's so important because if you're going to learn how to live into oneness with God, you can't be in an intimate relationship with a person who themselves is not one with God through the grace of Jesus Christ. But for us to understand that everyone here who knows the grace of Jesus, and I know it is many of you, perhaps not all of you, it means that you and I together have the common ground of the grace of Jesus Christ, and because we do, that means we have a great common ground. It means we have a great way to start. It means you have a great place to start with your wife or your husband or anyone who is part of this faith community with other churches as well. Churches that you and I are called to be one with. We have the common ground that we know the grace of Jesus Christ, which means that as we live into that belief and understanding first, we start in the same place. It means that we're going to fight less means that we're going to love more. That's much more important. It means we're going to show grace more. It means we're going to flourish more. And what's interesting to me is that we forget this so often. One of the things that I have when people come to me in my office and will say things like, well, I'm really struggling with my relationship with God. I'm really not growing. I'm not flourishing. I'll always ask them, Tell me about your relationships, your relationship to your husband or your wife. Tell me about your relationship to your parents or to your children. Tell me about your relationship to your coworkers. Why? Because if there are fractured relationships around you and in your life, the probability of that being something that impacts your relationship with God is very high. You're not living into oneness around you it becomes more difficult for you to live in oneness with him. Grow in your oneness. You want to love God and experience the grace of Jesus more? Love your spouse more. Love them better. Put loving them as high on your priority list as you can, just under loving God and all you do. Love your kids more. Love your neighbors. Love your coworkers more. And yes, that means sometimes you're going to have to give some things up. I have a relationship in my life right now that is very difficult for me to show love. And because that relationship is fractured and it's a close relationship to me, 
And because there's something there that I just haven't been able to work through with this person and we haven't found the common ground, my relationship with God is deeply, deeply, deeply affected. And for me to think, okay, Lord, I want to love you more. I want to follow you more. That means we're going to approach this. It means that this person and I are going to have conversation. That we're going to work through the hard things of what forgiveness and grace, what it means to be on common ground together, what it means to have mutual understanding. Because as I do so, I am exercising oneness in a way that connects me more deeply with God. Think even about what the Shema that the Jews were given and say every single day, what it speaks to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because those two are so interconnected. If you do not love your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children, your parents, your co-workers, if you do not love them as you love yourself, you hinder your relationship with God. That's why Jews say that every day. And that's why Jews and us certainly should be on the forefronts of peace. It shouldn't be about conflict for us. We are peacemakers, peace seekers, love givers, grace receivers. That's who we are. And that equips us more deeply to be united with God in Jesus Christ. And as we grow more deeply into relationships of love and grace with each other, we more deeply love the triune God because we're living like him. What, a, what are the, one of the big words that we use theologically in the church? We use this word sanctification, right? That's a big theological word that simply means this. You and I are growing in how we are living in relationship with God. There's another way to phrase it though, that we become more like Jesus. Well, if we think about that phrase and we think about how Jesus, if we're like Jesus, Jesus is united. The word was God. There's a a union, a oneness there. And as we live more deeply into oneness in the world that we live in, we live more deeply into oneness with him. Now, um, many of you know that right at the end of last year, November, October, November, December, we did a reveal survey, right? If you remember that reveal survey, the reveal survey was something that about 100 people here at the church. You're going to hear some more data from it, um, some things that we learned but, uh, in, the, in the next week or so, uh, next couple of weeks. But one of the things that we learned is that there is, for many people here at the river, a disconnect. You don't feel connected. You don't feel connected to the church and you don't feel connected with others. For some, that's not an issue, but for many, and I mean many, a significant number, that is something that is um, a challenge. Now, here's the thing. We here in leadership at the river are committed to growing in what it means to equip you, uh, equip us together to love God more deeply. Well, if we hear this morning's teaching, how do we better love God more deeply? We love each other more deeply. We live into relationships of love, one with another. And many of you, how many of you are part of a small group? 
that, that hurts my heart because that's something that we have to address and that's something that we are committed to. We want you to be connected to more people in relationships of love in this place where we're supposed to be one. We want you to be equipped. We want us to be equipped to a more deeply connected relationship of love and grace with each other. Not just because we want you to have friends. Not just because we want you to have something to do every month or every couple weeks and get together for small group. Not just because we want to keep track of you and that you're in a relationship of accountability. All those things are good things things. But we ultimately, primarily want you to grow in your love for God. We want you to be more connected to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And how do you and I learn how to do that in a great way? And that is connected in relationships of love, grace, mutual encouragement, and support with others around us. And if we want you to grow, we would be foolish, remiss. We wouldn't be doing what God has called us to do if we don't offer more opportunities for you to connect. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not connected, and some of you are going to say, I'm not doing small groups, I'm not doing this, and I'm going to challenge you and say, why not? Don't you want to grow in your relationship with God? So you're going to hear things like life transformation groups a lot. That's a phrase that means you get together with a group of people, four or five, maybe three or four couples, and you get together for the purpose of seeing God transform your life through relationships with each other where you learn more about what it means to be in love with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That's our commitment. I commit, I promise you, as your lead pastor, that you are going to be hearing more. And we confess, I confess, we have not done a good job of that. Please forgive us and be willing to move towards some of these opportunities. Again, not just because we want you to have friends. I want you to have the greatest friend. I want you to live into this relationship of love and grace that God has for you and longs to have with you and for you and I to learn how to do that even better by living into relationships with others is both a calling of God, a necessity of the church, and a really, really beautiful way for us to learn how to be more in love with him. Would you pray with me? Living God, You have given us a model in Jesus of what a union relationship, a oneness relationship is. And we long, Father, for more of that oneness with you. And we know, Lord, that you have given us that model of you and your Son and the Holy Spirit being one, being unique each in your own persons, but, Lord, unique in who you are. Lord, help us to live into that model, to live into that oneness, primarily with you, but then also, Lord, with our spouses, more, Lord, with our neighbors, more, Lord, with the body of Christ, that we might be united, we might be one, we might be willing to pursue more deeply what relationships we have so that in pursuing those relationships, we can fall more deeply in love with you. 
Father, equip us to that end because sometimes it's hard. It means we have to try to get along with people that we don't necessarily get along with. Sometimes it means, Lord, that we need to confess our own frailties, our own failings, our own inabilities, our own brokenness so that others can forgive and accept us. And that's hard work, Lord, but equip us to that end through your Holy Spirit so that we might grow more deeply in love with others, but mostly more deeply in love with you. Father, we pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.